Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I want you to put in your diary the 15th of October, 7 p.m. at the State Library Theatre at... I'm doing a show called The Consequences of Murder with an amazing former Queensland police officer, Helen Rose. I go into detail I've never shared before, particularly on a personal side. As the show is a little bit different this time, we go deep into the murders that we've been involved in, but also the effects of being involved in those murders. The murder that Helen was involved in will shock you to the core. It's everybody's worst nightmare. So grab a ticket and we'll see you there. Thanks. Uh, Hello and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, My guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. That was actually the most traumatic part of the whole process, to be honest, Narelle. Like, it actually was soul-destroying. Okay, thanks uh, for joining us again. Again, uh, there's a warning that today we talk in great detail about sex abuse of a 16-year-old girl, Leah Salise. Please take care about whether it's right for you. But after last week, this week, Leah talks a lot more about the justice system, where she believes that it needs attention, what her issues were, how she thinks it could improve. She talks about the um, DPP process, again, not in a very favourable way, but Also, the comments that the judge made in his uh, closing address. And she also talks about giving evidence to the Tasmanian Commission of Inquiry into responses to child sexual abuse in institutional settings. She really is such a strong, passionate, Oh, she is an unbelievable woman. I take my hat off to her. Be careful listening today. Again, as I said, it's not easy listening, but it's a conversation that I think we need to have and that people need to hear. Thanks. 
Have a great week. Uh, Leah, you don't sound like you had a great deal of support. Like um, your parents, yes, they went up to the school, your psychologist, but what about like your friends that you went to school with or, uh, I, I don't know, other people? Did you get much support? Or- yeah, so it's funny. When, when it all happened, it was – people's just kind of accepted it because they're all teenagers too. And I get that. Like I understand. Like nobody kind of went, oh, that's really weird. They just kind of go, oh, it's almost like I had a medal on my chest, you know, and they'd pat me on the back and what have you. But when I came forward in 2017, the the sort of leading up to that, um, I hadn't had a lot to do with my school peers um, after that because I was absolute. I hated the school for what they did to me and I didn't want to have anything to do with the people that went there because of what happened to me and how they behaved in some ways. So, but I did reconnect with a few people who I wasn't particularly friends with at school, but we all had children around the same age and went to play groups together. And one of them invited me to her 40th birthday and I was dreading it. I was sitting in the car out, you know, because that's really triggering to go where you know there's going to be a lot of people that know what happened to you and, you know, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? Like, I would have such bad anxiety or panic attacks um, just at the thought of anyone from school being anywhere basically where there was a social occasion. And I sat in the car for about half an hour before I went in and then I finally got the courage to go in and I had quite a few drinks of bubbles before I could even talk to anybody. I was so nervous. And one of the girls who I wasn't particularly friendly with at school, she had actually become a physical education teacher <laughs> And she said, what happened to you should have never happened. She said, I feel sick because he was my mentor. He was someone I looked up to. He was the reason I became a phys ed teacher. And there was another girl who's since done um, counselling. She's a a teen counsellor. And she said, oh, she said, looking back, she said, we, I mean, when you're a teenager, you're in your own little bubble. You think that you know, everything's happening to you. you. You can't sort of see outside your own bubble to what else is going on. There's a few, I mean, I've got a daughter that's the same age and she's, oh, this has happened and this has happened and it's nothing groundbreaking or anything, but it's, but it's it, all a drama, it's huge isn't it? <laughs> to them. It's absolutely huge to yeah, them. And they're yeah. all going through their own little thing and they don't really sort of take much notice about what's going outside their periphery. So... Yeah, so it was interesting to go to that and I felt somewhat validated and that kind of pushed me to bring it up and, you know, I was having marital problems as well. So it kind of pushed me to, you know, mention it, but I was still calling it an affair even though people had said to me that night, that was so wrong, that what happened to you was illegal. You know, I still didn't think of it that way. I just literally could not get that into my head until I had, the psychotherapy. Mm. Mm. Do, do you look back now and wonder or know whether there was any, apart from his wife that he met when he was 22 and she was 15, do you, are you aware of other people that may have uh, been a victim to his um, behaviour? There was talk of another girl when he was a relief teacher, so he actually stayed down here after he left my school um 
there was some talk about it, but she's never come forward. Um, he wouldn't have admitted that to me even if I'd asked him, which I didn't. Um, so none known, whereas there's – because I'd be surprised if, if there wasn't. Yeah. If, uh, yeah, I would be very surprised. Uh, but So, Leah, in 2017 when you go to the psychotherapist or the psychologist, I don't um, – but it doesn't matter, but you then decided because you realised it wasn't an affair and you are obviously encouraged, you you realised you weren't to blame, you decided to go to the police, yeah. is that right? So, and can you, yeah. can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, so I actually, one of the girls that was at this particular party put me in touch with a girl that we went to school with who is a detective in the police force down here, and she got me the name of a fantastic, I won't mention her name because she'll be embarrassed, <laughs> but she's amazing. She actually rang me. Oh, let's embarrass her. Come on, let's embarrass her. <laughs> it was, no, no, well, no. I was going to say her name's Cherie anyway, and she's a detective um, with yep. the Hobart CIB um, specialising in um, abuse, sexual abuse. Um, so... I had a meeting with her and she was just amazing. Like I, if I could go back in time and go and see her, like, you know, I wish everybody that, ha- you know, that comes forward had someone like her as mm. their advocate basically because. They can make a huge they difference. Do. Can't they? And I, I can't remember the name of her offsider, but they both made me feel incredibly safe. Um, and mm. supported, and I know some and people believed. don't, ha- and believed, yeah. So I know mm. because I had that diary too. It was kind of it. It was pretty rotten, basically. It, you know, it was all there in black and white, basically. But you know, like I said, it stood me in good stead at, for the truth. Um, but she was amazing, and you know, I'll never forget. She actually said to me, and it was really actually quite, you know, they set up a video camera and they record you when you're being interviewed for that first time. So that was the first time I'd actually gone through with anybody as part from my psychologist, not my mum and dad, not my husband at the time, none of my friends. I'd never gone from go to woe, the whole story. So that was the first time I'd ever done that. And it was absolutely awful. It was horrendous. I I was so triggered and it was very, very hard. But having done that, I'll never forget Cherie said, oh, good, I can't wait. I love a good extradition (laughs) because he was over in South Australia. So she was really, like she said, oh, I've got him dead to rights. You know, there's there's no way he can deny this because there's so many people that can corroborate that this happened. He's, yeah. you know, you know, I, yeah. I'm just thinking now, as a detective, if somebody came to me like yourself, and you know, you you seem very um, uh, confident, uh, honest, reliable, uh, genuine, all that sort of stuff. But when somebody would produce a diary, I would just about do cartwheels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can under- I can understand why. And like I said, I don't know why I kept it all. That- I've got other diaries that have never seen. I've never seen since I wrote them. Basically, but this particular diary has come with me everywhere. And I believe that happened for a reason. Whether you know the universe was 
looking after me or whatever. I'm not really a big believer in any of that. But, you know, for some reason I had kept this diary and I'm so bloody glad I did because it, it like, like Cherie said, he was dead to rights. He basically couldn't deny it because there were so many people that knew that this had happened. But when they went up to the school, the police, um, they couldn't find any of my records, surprisingly. Um, yeah. You know, and they're meant yeah. to keep records, like school reports and records of things like that happening. There were f- there were a number of meetings that happened with my parents and with the chaplain, for example. There was no record of that. There was even an, uh, the lawyer for the school who, incidentally, I won't mention her name either, but she is uh, a um, personal injury lawyer, which I find quite interesting, um, and she denied being at those meetings when the police talked to her. She actually said, I can't recall that. So, that you know, they basically were protecting their own backs, really. Um, and subsequently, I have since gone through with a claim. I didn't do anything for a number of years because I didn't want any compensation or anything. But once I thought, you know, had gotten over the whole turmoil of going through the justice system and, you know, coming forward again for the third time, it, you know, I did decide that perhaps I would seek compensation. And it was interesting that the lawyers that I chose, they could put their hands on my school records because the education department has to keep them. So, the school bald-faced lied about that. So, and yeah, they were just they were so intent on keeping their, you know, squeaky clean, you know, reputation intact, basically. So, yeah, it was it was pretty awful, you know, because, again, they were just saying, oh, we didn't know anything about it. But actually, yes, she did. <laughs> um, so, again, in 2017, the school was denying knowledge, but they had things in the in the um, school yearbook about him, you know, there were a number of witnesses that could say this happened. We know this. We know this was to be true, etc. And even he admitted to it. So the school didn't have a leg to stand on, basically. So that was good in that respect too. When I was coming forward with the police, because there was so much evidence against him, and he admitted to it. Mm-hmm. Uh- the teacher was obviously uh, charged. Am I yes. right there? And the matter went to um, to the Supreme yes. Court, and and the civil action is what you're referring yes. to there, is it? Yeah. With the compensation. So, from what I've read, uh, what you've told me, the whole court experience was uh, the complete opposite. It was awful. To your I wouldn't experience with the initial reporting. Please tell us about that. Oh, yeah. This is the. The DPP, and look, they're there to do a job. They're there to get to the truth. I get it, you know, but I had a diary, let's not forget. I also had the fact that he'd admitted to it, but I had to go through over and over time and time again about, and I know they have to get everything right to a finite detail because it's a legal requirement, but I just don't, I did not feel like it was very a very supportive environment. You know, they, they're not trained to be psychologists or counsellors, so they're just there to get to the truth. So basically 
that was actually the most traumatic part of the whole process, to be honest, Narelle. Like, it actually mm. was soul-destroying. Like, I just have to – and writing my t- victim impact statement, uh, you know, I went through my emails the other day when I was preparing for this and I'm thinking – there were so many to and fro's from the person that was helping me write because I wasn't allowed to say this. I wasn't allowed to do that. I have to, you know, I, I just felt like I was stifled um, as far as my victim mm. impact statement. Um, but also the DPP, they, they're just pretty ruthless basically. They just they like to get the information and way betide anybody who's giving the information. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, just about to drive their car off the road into a tree. They just, you know, they've got to get the information right. So I was incredibly triggered by and and re-traumatised, I would say, by that process. Um, But, but Leah, the the DPP, you say there uh, that, yes, you understand they've got a job to do and they've got to get to the truth or what the truth is. However, getting to the truth is about having compassion, understanding, uh, care. It's not just so what happened and when. Like there's a way to ask that and, and to show some sort of empathy. Like... They and you say they're not trained in that. Well, I'm sorry, but they bloody well should be. When you are talking to somebody so traumatized about anything, you've got to um, take that into consideration. You know, it's it's not it's not right. No, and uh, I mean, and because of that, and I, I've been quite outspoken <laughs> a couple of times Good. in the media down here because of the way in which these processes come about with victims of abuse and survivors. Um, So I was asked to give evidence at the Commission of Inquiry, which I mentioned before, and basically it was really, really dehumanising, I think. Like, you know, um, like I said, they asked me the same question in different ways over and over again, which made me feel like I was stupid, to be honest. Or you know, basically, is this an inquiry or is this at court? This is the DPP. Like this, oh, yeah. yeah. So, and yeah. that's why they they had asked me because I'd come. I actually had not been identified, but I'd made a few comments in a in a um, newspaper article about consent. And then I was interviewed and named because basically they wanted to know a bit more and I kind of ummed and art about it because I don't really want to be the poster child for this because there already is someone who incidentally went to the same school as I did, but I'm not interested in that. I'm just interested in, in helping, you know, other people come forward. I don't want to be here, there and everywhere. It's not, you know, I just want the process to change. But, yeah, so I'd made quite a few comments named and basically when the commissioner or the people had from the Commission of Inquiry approached me, they asked me to give evidence about my experience with the police and also with the DPP and mm. the Supreme Court. So I did and it wasn't favourable <laughs> and I know because I've got a couple of friends that work in the um, 
legal system down here and, yeah, there were quite a few people that were pissed off by my my accusations of that's how... Like that's why they have an inquiry. That's exactly right. And it wasn't to, just to them. Out, mm. yeah, but that's, yeah, they have an inquiry to work out what is going wrong and like you spoke before about the turmoil of the justice system, mm. it should not be like no. that. The justice system has to listen and has to learn about victims and the more that they um, they teach that empathy and understanding and compassion, the more people and the more people like yourself that come forward, that's how we learn. Mm. It's not by patting everybody on the back saying it was a great job. You, you don't learn by that. And I, I just also want to just while I'm on my high horse about the um, uh, DPP, um, I think the fact that they prosecute offences and sex abuse cases day in and day out, I think they probably become blasé a bit and forget that every single victim of um, sex abuse is affected in different ways. And and what might be a normal day to them mm. is far from normal for the victim. Like that, that mindset needs to be addressed constantly for the DPP to never forget or underestimate the mixed emotions and the, and the fear that a victim will be feeling. In fact... It's probably one of, if not the most, I think you'd probably agree with me here, the most fearful, stressful, humiliating, embarrassing time of a victim's life. I agree. And, and I think that's often forgotten in the pursuit of, you know, a successful outcome. I know the OPP, the DPP need to prepare the victim. I get that. Um, and they need to prepare you for what sometimes can be a rigorous cross examination in examination, but in your case... He'd admitted it. He'd pleaded mm. guilty. Yep. So you were never going to have to be cross-examined. Did they give a reason for the relentless questioning? No, and the other thing is, and like you say, it is so harrowing as someone who's come forward because the average time, and you would know this having worked in this area, Narelle, the average time for a victim survivor to come forward is between 22 and 25 years So yep. since their abuse. And so, sometimes it could be longer. It can be much longer. So, you know, it... <laughs> It's the first time you've gone through all of this. It's harrowing. It's absolutely harrowing. And like I said, I wanted to kill myself. I just wanted to it all to stop, basically. And I couldn't be the wife I should have been. I couldn't be the mother I should have been. I had two little girls, little girls at that stage. And, you know, I couldn't tell them what was going on because they wouldn't understand. But, you know, there was all this pressure on me to provide this information where they had my diary, they had, you know, corroborating witnesses. They had so much. They really and didn't. And additions. And not to, yeah, and not to um, put too fine a point on it, he'd, he pled guilty. So <laughs> I just don't under, yeah, I don't understand looking back at that now. And of course, I, like I said, I ruffled a few feathers and then I also had something to do. Oh, well. I also had something to say about the, the just the um the judge that actually you know listened to my case or had was on my case handed down yeah. yes and who um sentenced him because he labelled it a consensual relationship um and I oh, that just made me wild it was absolutely galling 
to hear that because it basically diminished what had happened to me. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This part of it being, because I was a girl and I was 16 when it happened, that I somehow consented to having this go on. You know, it was just, it was horrendous. I can't tell you how horrendous it was. You know, um, it's offensive. Uh, you know, it really is. You said it was horrendous. I'm offended. It's offensive that the judge would use the term consensual uh, during his, you know, summing up of your case. No wonder the community might use that word or think of it like mm. that if somebody in, with such a high standing in the community as a judge refers to as, it, it, it as consensual. Like how can we change that? the judicial mindset to not use that word because it's wrong. I wouldn't have thought that they'd need reminding a judge in, in his position or her would need reminding what consent meant. Mm. But it's it's something that isn't getting through. I'm disappointed that the term was even thought of, let alone said in such a public domain. Positions you think about what you read out at the at the beginning of this interview, Narelle, like basically people in positions of power are not allowed 
you know, it's illegal for them to have relations, mm. sexual relations with mm. somebody, uh, you know, who's in their care basically. And, th- and yet consensual and position of power are complete opposite words, <laughs> phrases basically because mm. they do not mix. They should not be intertwined. How has this – and look, I have to – say that that ha- the maintaining uh, the sexual relationship with a minor is actually, yes. it's been renamed recently um, to persistent sexual abuse of a child. Mm. Good, it, because that word relationship has been yes, taken out. Yes, exactly. And yeah. that, I think that's a massive step forward. I mean, we've had politicians groaning in parliament <laughs> about, you know, the mm. fact that that about sexual abuse survivors, you know, it's it's all, you know, and now we're finally turning the tide, I think. It's been a long, arduous road, but I think people are finally beginning to understand the profound effect it has on victim survivors and, you know, that if you're a child, you can't vote, you can't drive, you can't, you know, you can't do anything, you can't drink, legally, um, you can't consent and you can, certainly can't consent to someone who's a teacher, who's twice as old as you, who is in a p- position of authority above you. And it really, and really the age, as in the age of that you say about the teacher being double your age, it wouldn't matter how old they no. are. And I, I'm, I know you agree with me, but just to point out, it doesn't matter how old the teacher is. It's that power imbalance. It's the fact that you are, they are your supervisor. They are under your care, your uh, their authority. And that can be um, a very powerful, I don't know, let's say an aphrodisiac and clearly it has been in, in your mm. situation. Um, what was the result of the court process? He was sentenced to two years and eight months with a non-parole period, I think, of a year and eight months, I think. I can't really remember. I actually didn't go to his sentencing. So he went inside? He did. He went inside? But he was making a some sort of appeal so that it wasn't down here. He had, could do it um, up on the mainland where his family was. And in, interestingly enough, he remarried his ex-wife, which is, you know, just oh, bizarre yeah. and found God as well. Um, oh, yes, right. Yeah, so yeah. he – and was a principal of a school. So he had had – he'd had a couple of children, both daughters, um, and I only knew this because Cherie told me basically. So that's all. I didn't – I have never sought him out. I don't want to know what he's doing. He's, he'll never teach again, which is – he's had 24 years of getting away with it scot-free. So, you know, mm. too bad, so sad you're not going to teach again. Probably just as well. well neither he should. Yeah. Oh, no, that that – man should never ever be in a position no. of authority with anybody ever again no. and and I know you say and people probably think two years and eight months um, with and obviously a non-parole period was set but it's never enough no. I understand that but I know that uh, just from my experience of visiting people in jail or hearing you know the number of stories I know that one night in jail, 
I know it's not enough for people, but one night in jail would be horrendous. And just I've spoken to people that have, you know, their first night in jail, Mm. well, of course it's going to be the the worst time of their life. I have absolutely no sympathy for the teacher, absolutely none. Um, But, you know, don't think it's a holiday. It would have been uh, pretty hard, but uh, I think – Two years, it, it doesn't sound long for the lifetime of, mm. of um, torment sh- that it has given you. Yeah, it's a shame that they don't have to live with the psychological um, fallout um, of what abuse survivors deal with mm. on a daily mm. basis for the rest of their lives after what they have done to us. Like they don't get the life sentence that we do. You know, the two, that's what is I think is kind of unfair in some ways that they don't get to um, experience. Yes, and he wasn't even put on the register either um, after that. I think any, really, really. A hundred percent for real. Oh yes, he'll never teach again, but he's not on the pedophile registry, no. So, and that's what he is. He is a pedophile. Well, yes, and forever will he be now. Um, yes, like I said, he's he'll never work in education again. And I wish we could put his name up in yeah. lights. You know, people say um, that he's done his time, and fair enough, he has. Uh, but isn't it look? <laughs> Yeah, I just think sometimes they get away. I'm not saying jail is scot-free, no. but once they leave jail. Oh. Yes, well, I hope I hope what I've heard about um, pedophiles in jail is true. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I don't think yeah. of all the crimes to commit, um, I think the people in jail apparently don't like pedophiles. So... I can only hope that. Who does? Yes, I can only hope that perhaps he he didn't have a very nice time in there. Hmm. He, he probably. Well, I hope he wouldn't have hmm. as well. Um, so, how did you come? How did it come about that you gave evidence at the Tasmanian uh, Royal Commission? Because that was correct me if I'm wrong. The title is the Tasmanian Commission of Inquiry into Responses to Child Sexual Abuse in Institutional Settings. Yes. So is that right? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. So basically, there had been um, I had made a couple of comments, identified and not identified in the paper. And when I'd done the um, the article where I was identified and spoke about how I wasn't very happy about the word consensual being used, they got in touch with me because I, I basically bagged out the DPP and and the justice in my case. So um, they contacted me. They, they contacted my lawyers um, and got my number from my lawyers. She asked if that was okay and I said, yep, that's fine. And they said, are you would you like to testify? Obviously, I went to a private school, so it had nothing to do with the school itself. It was just the processes that I went through, like dealing with the police in 2017. I didn't get the the honour of doing that, you know, back when it happened. But, yeah, I had a really positive out, outcome with the police. But, however, the DPP and the justice, you know, the Supreme Court, um, 
experience was not favourable. I did, and they wanted to hear about that. They wanted to hear, and basically, the commission was there to point out all the flaws in the system and you know record it and actually rectify it. Yes, so I was more than happy to give evidence to that because I don't want what happened to me and, you know, the not being believed aside, but the the awful process that I had to go through um, and it, it will be different now because the law, the name of the law, you know, the name of the charge has been changed, for example, but, you know, I actually suggested that perhaps they should have counsellors or psychologists actually in with the barristers um, or the um, the lawyers from the DPP because these people who are coming forward and telling you their story are going through the most heinous thing that's ever happened to them probably. So they, they need to have some sort of understanding about how triggering it is, how it's not that easy to recount something so many times, for example, and you know, most of them would have a form of post-traumatic stress disorder, which can sort of set off in a number of different ways and manifest itself in different ways. I just cried a lot through that part of it, but it has effect on your memory. It has effect on so many parts like anxiety and depression. It can have physical effects. You know, like I sweat profusely, for example, when I feel like I'm in that fight or flight mode, you know, I get absolutely drenched in sweat because it's a it's something that is very real to most victim survivors you know it it, it feels like they're back in that situation again when they're going through it so they need to be aware of how what they say and how they put things to victim survivors when they're interviewing them simple as that what what i what i don't understand is that in victoria we have an amazing system when we have uh, uh, victims or witnesses that um, are giving evidence at a trial. The OPP have within their, well, not, uh, they can request and generally ha- have a social worker mm. work with them with the victim or with the witness. And that social worker can literally hold that victim's hand or, uh, I don't know, just, just to be there and, and, and they really take them under their wing and uh, they explain the process, they, they tell them what to expect, uh, they just settle them down and that sounds like what you needed and you never got. So I don't understand and this system has been in, uh, in Victoria, God, since I was, uh, what was that, the early 90s when I started having trials and sexual assault trials, uh, sexual abuse, they had that system. And um, they were sometimes, in my view, the difference between a conviction uh, because the victim was so well versed in what to expect and how, uh, sort of, how to act, I suppose. Um, well, they don't tell them how to act, but you know what I mean, just supporting them. So I don't understand why Tasmania haven't got that. Narelle, we still saw homosexuality as illegal in 1997. <laughs> so I think we're a little bit behind the times. When people make oh, reference yeah, to right. Tasmania being backward, I think that is 
I don't ever get offended because I think that's entirely true. <laughs> We're getting better, but that's why he had a commission of inquiry because we don't, we haven't dealt with these things properly. So, you know, whereas there, you know, our mainland counterparts have mostly, for the most part, got it, you know, really set out well so that the victim is well supported. But we just have not gotten the memo about that until recently. Well, that that's, that's – um, I was going to use the word shameful. That's possibly a little harsh. But I, uh, I've just interviewed – um, a very dear friend who, who was a social worker and worked with the OPP mm. and uh, she was embarrassed, uh, wanted me to take it out. In fact, that I said that her role in so many uh, trials and court cases that I had was the reason um, I think that we got a conviction because of uh, the uh, her just what she did and um, how she, how she um, uh, contributed. Not con- yes, yes, thank you. How she contributed to the uh, to the victim because without a victim, like if you don't have a victim that can put across, you know, that can detail what's happened, you're never going to get no. anywhere. So uh, there are pivotal. Anne was her name, or is her name? She was pivotal. Mm. Her and her colleagues. Yeah. yeah. So. Gee, you might be right, you know. I, I've always thought that was a bit of a joke about Tasmanians being a bit behind. Wow. But but, but like you say, for 1997, for homosexuality to um, up until then to still be illegal, that, oh, that's terrible. Don't get me started on that because I'll, <laughs> oh I'll, I'll waste the flag, don't you worry. Like, I'm... I'm yeah, I'm yeah. quite. I've got quite a strong sense of justice, Narelle, and I think more so because of what's you happened a, to you me. You have a friend here, me too. Yeah, so what's happened to me has determined the way I see that sort of stuff. I'm very anti-injustice for anybody, basically. So if there's a cause I can get on board with, I will. Don't you worry, because it's it's you know. People should be believed. People should be able, it's a human right, a basic human right, you know, just to be safe, be, you know, employed, you know, not discriminated against. There are so many reasons we are still not, um, what's the word? And now I'm doing this now, I notice like, I can find a word for you, but I can't find a word for myself. You know, there are so many um minorities that still aren't treated yeah. with the respect that they deserve. You know, it's just oh, horrendous. Like, it actually makes me quite angry. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Makes I me sad the, that they yeah. don't have – it makes me sad that they don't have the same opportunities, yes. for instance, uh, that that we have – uh, yeah, again, like you say, that could be a whole new podcast. Yeah. Hey, so – what advice in with your you know the unfor- what you've unfortunately gone through what advice would you give anyone who's considering reporting a, a sexual assault to the police uh, I think perhaps the best thing you can do is write down everything that you can remember um, that because when you get into that interview seat and 
if you suffer from PTSD, I find it hard to pull words out of my brain. So, it, it, you know, I get stuck. So if you have a dot point list, I know that sounds really kind of clinical and, and you know, overly organised, but it will actually help you keep on track of what you're saying and prompt you with um, your statement Um Yes, I mean, I was, like I said, I was really lucky. I believe that sometimes, like I said, we are getting better, but I think there have been moments in the past where victim survivors haven't been um, taken seriously. But I think, you know, we are starting to turn the tide, as I said before. So I would definitely take a support person with you. Um, I would definitely recommend that you have some sort of therapy, if not before, definitely after. Um, mm-hmm. The best form of therapy is actual therapy. It's not in the bottom of a, an alcohol bottle. It's not, you know, in the form of prescription drugs or anything like that. <laughs> Trust me, I've tried it all. I, you know, I really think that the best sort of thing you can do for your younger self and your adult self is actually cognitive behavioural therapy. It is so important that you seek help in that area because it is so mentally, emotionally damaging what has happened to you. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I don't know, because I had such a good experience with the police I can't honestly say, oh, you know, you should do this, you should do that. I was believed as soon as I came forward in 2017. So I was very fortunate because I had evidence. But even if you don't have physical evidence like I did, you know, like I said, writing down what you can remember. And a lot of victim survivors don't remember in detail what happened to them because, you know, a lot of the time they block it out. Um, So if you can write down anything that you remember, I think that would be really beneficial. And like I said, with the psychologist, I really think they can also help you with that as well. So like I said, if you're not already seeing one, definitely, definitely go and see somebody, a counsellor or somebody that can help you um, with your emotional and psychological state. Mm. They're very, very... um it's great advice, Leah. But you know, so the diary, the support, and the um, uh, the therapy. So, uh, in closing, I suppose, Leah, I'd just like to say thanks for um, bringing this difficult subject out into the open and just talking about it so honestly. Um, I've got no doubt that there are people out there listening who have found some comfort and strength, and maybe a bit of shock uh, in what you've said. And some of the advice advice that you've provided, um, I've got to say, Leah, I admire your courage and your strength. I I also acknowledge it hasn't been easy, but strength to you for sharing it like you have. And and also, I just want to say that if a child or anyone, for that matter, reports a sexual assault, please don't dismiss them. It's taken enormous courage and strength to tell someone, so please do them the courtesy of listening and assuring them that they've done the right thing and that they are believed. That is so important. Thanks, Narelle. It's, yeah, like I said, I hope if it helps just one more person, it's been worth it. 
basically. I hope. I know, I know it will. Yeah. I know it will, Leah. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your time, Leah. And uh, how did – so John has settled you down. <laughs> Are you going to go back and watch a bit more of John I, just to – I might. I might throw a little bit of the Livy Newton-John in there too. Who knows? I'll crack out the record player. <laughs> I've got it all on vinyl too. It's very sad, honestly. Oh, you're showing your age now. All right. Thanks Thanks again, Leah, and have a lovely day. Thank you. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.